confidently praying for more. I'm like, more, more. God, would you build us more? Would you, would you create more in us? If, if this was a season of sifting, God, thank you for that. If you're doing something more so we can reach more, let's do that. And, and it got me thinking, <clears throat> what is the most effective way for us to reach out, to reach more people with the, with the gospel? What is a way that we can see our communities transformed? What's a way that we can see the nations transformed? And it would seem like the best way for that to happen would be for us to, as a church, raise up kids, raise up students, raise up young adults, raise up married people, single people, older people, retired people who what? Who love Jesus deeply. Who, Who value Christ more than anything else this world has to offer to raise up people who know the word, who love each other, who, who, who live their lives for the glory of God, whose hearts are captured by their Savior and captured by his heart for the world. I mean, really, what I just described there, you, you could say, isn't that just the normal life of a Jesus follower, of a Christian? I mean, you think about it, picture somebody in our community or, or, or in the nations who, is, who has never really had any church background, no really real understanding of who Jesus is. And, and through this pandemic and all the lockdowns and the difficulty of this, picture yourself in that situation and you're looking for hope. And, and you're wondering about life and looking for something deeper. And, and, and what would you look for? If you're looking for hope, what, what would you want to see at Harvest Church? What would you want to see in this community that that would draw your heart to say, man, I I want what they have. I need what they have. You'd be drawn to what? You'd be drawn to people who love each other deeply and practically. You'd be drawn to people who are kind and generous. You'd be drawn to people who don't gossip and talk behind your back. You'd be drawn to people that when they see a need, they consider the need of others greater than themselves. You'd want a group of people who, who recognize that they have these gifts, these talents, and, and they're not just using them to make their lives better, but they're, they're using them for others. And when you talk about it like that, when you think about what that looks like to be a church, to be a Christian, you might go, man, that, that doesn't seem that radical. It kind of just seems like the normal way you would live if you say that you're following Jesus. I, mean, I started thinking about the early church. What, what did they do? They were this, this little group of, of simple people. They, they didn't have a lot of power. They certainly had no position, no authority, no influence in Rome at the time. And yet with, with prayer and living very simple way of life, of just following Jesus with everything, they turned the powerful Roman Empire upside down. There was something about their lives that authenticated the message they had, this, this simple authenticity to the way they lived. And for sure, it, it, it was tested by some radical courage as, as many were, were sewn into animal skins and thrown to lions or, or dipped in tar and used as torches to light parties in the streets. But they're also known by their culture. You read church history. They're known as people who just authentically live their life in love, forgiveness, integrity, joy, compassion. It was the normal way of life for them as the church. So if if someone were to come up and say in Rome and say, hey, what are Christians like? They would say that's what they're like. That's who they are. And I even started thinking about just a short while ago as I was talking to somebody in town here who has never darkened the door of a church. But they had a lot of opinions about Christians. And I'll say this, not great opinions. But, but here's the cool thing. To encourage you, they started to talk about you guys. 
because a number of you had helped them out in some real practical needs and, and also poured out encouragement on them. And they said this, they said, hey, I started to see those people who are helping me out, they were all from Harvest. And I started thinking, man, those people who go to that church, they're some of my favorite people. And here, here's what they said. They said, they're like real Christians. And then they said this, man, I want to see what's up with your church. I want to see you. But why? Why? Here's what they're saying. They lived, you live like normal Christians. And this person said, I want to be around that. So, so let me say what we're going to be unpacking in this short series. It's not really all that radical. It's looking at God's word. It's seeing who Jesus is. It's seeing what he's done for us. And then we respond by just living out what Jesus calls us to do. And so my hope as we dig into this short series is this. Harvest, let's just be normal. Let's be normal Christians. Let, let's, let's live in a way where, where someone could, if, if they were to ask, hey, hey, why would you do this for me? Why would you live like this? Why would you have that kind of integrity? Why would you care so much about me? Why would you have joy and peace and patience? Why do I never hear you gossip about people? Why, why aren't you complaining like everybody else is? You'd be able to say, because of Jesus. And I follow Jesus, just the, the normal way Christians live. Let's be normal normal Christ followers. And so we're going to look at, in Romans 12, a lot of real practical ways of what this looks like. And, and before we hit that, though, before we go on to the, here are the things, here are the practical ways to live this out, we need to start here this morning in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to see what's the fuel for this? Where's the energy for this? Where, where's the power for us to live out this way? Because although we would say it's a normal way to live, I think everybody here would also agree, man, it's not easy at times. And so if we step out and we try to do this in our own strength, okay, I'll be more loving, more forgiving, more gracious, more generous, and we do it in our own strength. Listen, it can lead to despair when you realize, man, I can't do that. I fail at that every day. If it doesn't lead you to, to, to despair because maybe you're doing great at it, then it leads to pride because you think you're crushing it. So both aren't good options for us as Christ followers. It can also lead to legalism. As you work so hard on this outward, I'm going to live in this way while your heart is so far from Jesus. So listen, we need to start here. Look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what's happening here in this book of Romans, where we're jumping right to the middle of it, chapters 12 to 15 lay out this pretty much, here's what it looks like to be a normal Christian. But, but you look at verse 1 there, what's it say? I appeal to you, therefore... That, that therefore, it's the, the hinge of the entire book of Romans. It's, it's in this moment where the book of Romans goes, the first 11 chapters is talking about something, and now it goes, now because of everything I've covered in those first 11 chapters, now I want to show you what it means to live this out. Here's how you respond. So basically it's this, chapters 1 to 11, because that is true, now we hit chapter 12, now live like this. That's a pretty important therefore in that verse, then, isn't it? 
Everything we unpack in these next few weeks as we talk about what it is to be a normal Christian is fueled by this therefore. So, so, so what was Paul unpacking for the Roman church in the first 11 chapters? Well, let's start in verse, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Let me give you a real flyby here. Romans 1 to 3, really, the chapters there talk about God's wrath poured out on sinners. Talks about how all of us are born into sin, and so we deserve the judgment of God. God's wrath poured out on us because we choose sin. Sin's wreaked havoc in our world. And you don't need to be a religious person to to look at something like that and say, yeah, I can see that. I, I can see the impact of sin. We see it on the news every day, don't we? So then it's not a huge leap to go from Romans 1, chapters 1 to 3, and then you hit chapter 3 where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't want to hear that. But we know by our own thoughts, by our actions, by by our speech, man, that's true. I sin. I fall short of God's perfect, holy standard. So so here we have all of us have fallen fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. The penalty of sin is death. The worst news in the world, but it's followed by the greatest news. Verse 24 of chapter 3 says this, and yet we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? It means we're declared righteous, pure, holy, perfect, clean. We're declared that how? By God's grace. So not based on what we do, but by God's grace. So then how do we respond to this? So so now you hit Romans 12, and so you get it. It's not obey, do this, do these things so that you can be accepted by God. No, you hit chapter 12, and it's like, wait a minute. Because I have been accepted by God, I'm now living differently. I don't do these things to get God's attention, to get his love, to get his acceptance. No, I already am accepted. So, So as an act now of response, I'm obeying what God calls me, how he calls me to live. Verse 1 says this, what? It's, it's therefore by what? By the mercy of God. In, in light of God's grace, in light of his mercy, in light of what Scripture would call the gospel, the, the good news that Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live or sh- but should have lived, he died our death, the death that we deserve. He died in our place on our behalf so that now we can give our sin to him and he gives us his righteousness. That's the good news. That's the fuel. That's the energy that creates in us this heart to live for Jesus. I mean, Paul would say in Romans 1.16 that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The fuel, the power. Do you know in scripture that, that outside of Jesus Christ, this is the only other thing that's called the power of God, the gospel. It's the actual power of God. For who? It says in Romans 1.16, for those who believe, not past tense, who have believed. That's true. When, when you put your hope in Christ, everything changes. You, you become a child of God in that. But, but it's saying here, those who continue to believe, those who have been saved and continue to believe, continue to experience the power of the gospel. And so what do we do? We come back to this reality that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, that we're saved and, listen, and being saved. Being declared righteous and what we call justified, but also walking in that, being changed by that daily, sanctified. 
And so we never graduate past the gospel, the, the gospel, the only truth in the, in, in the world in which if you put your hope in it day after day, when you do that, it transforms you. It makes you more and more like Jesus. It, it grows your heart more and more to see and enjoy the presence of God. We're going to cover some ways this is going to be lived out, but, but we have to start here. That, the, that living the normal Christian life is not about what you do. What you do flows out of what has been done, a response to the gospel. And if you don't start here, you, I'm telling you, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, it's going to seem like God's a taskmaster. Love better, do more, give more, serve more. But when you see the gospel, when your heart is focused on Christ, that while you're a sinner, an enemy of God, that Jesus died in your place, he rose again. He now reigns and he's returning. Listen, you stand in that truth. You, you hold tightly to that truth. You believe that truth. You savor that truth. You, you consider that to be the most precious thing that anything else this world could ever offer. Listen, that's the power. It's not the power of striving. It's not the power of fear. It's not the power of coercion or legalism or anxiety. It's the power of the gospel. What's that mean? It means this, that God actually begins that work in you. That it's God who gives you that new heart that says, I want to live this way. It's all his grace. So, so it's this weird command, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah, but, but I don't. Yeah, but you will. I'm going to give you the heart that does that. And it's a weird command to love the Lord your God with all your heart. What, shouldn't we want to do that? Yeah, when you understand the gospel. So, so we pour this out. Why? Because it's a faith in the grace of God. That we've been declared righteous, made right with God. Our justification is a sure thing. And we rest in the gospel that says that. And knowing that our sanctification being made more and more like Jesus every day, they come from the grace of God. So again, verse 1 says, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you to live in this new way. Why? Because of the mercy of God. How? By the mercy of God. In response to his grace. Because of his grace. And so what's, what's Paul call us to live like? You see in these two verses, because of his grace, we're going to give our life to the Lord as what? It says as a living sacrifice in verse 1. And then he's going to say this, you're also going to do this. Don't try to fit into the mold of what the world says is important, what the world holds up. And it says this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so let's start there. Let's start with that word transformed. It's, it's what we're called to. It's going to help us as we give our lives a sacrifice to know that we've been transformed. That, 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 that's a promise for us. In fact, the, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis from it. So, so when you hear be transformed, this, this idea, it's, it's like a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. There's that metamorphosis that happens there. Right? When the caterpillar's all holed up in his cocoon there, he's not binge-watching YouTube videos about how to fly. He's not trying to sew himself up some great wings. Man, if I make these and I have a little harness and then I'll just jump out of here... No, what's happening in that moment, in that cocoon, there are enzymes being released right there. Where what's it doing? On a DNA level, stuff's happening. Where he's being changed into a butterfly. And he, he emerges with wings, breaks free from the cocoon, does not have to learn how to fly. Why? Because it's been transformed into something new. Listen, that's what happens to you. 
If you know, if you've surrendered and continue to surrender your life to Jesus, God's released these gospel enzymes into your heart to transform your heart. So that that being a normal Christian, having that spiritual flight, it's second nature to you because you've been transformed. You see in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and love and self-control. What's that mean? It means you've been given a new heart. Romans 5.5 says, says, the hope of the gospel does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. We have a new heart. I mean, how much better is that than religious, churchy striving? To, to have this religious striving, this outward action, it's like stapling wings on a worm and saying, eh, it's a butterfly. Trying to live out the normal Christian life with, with a lot of religious rules is tiring. It does not produce lasting change. Listen, unless there's that inward transformation. Because that worm with stapled on wings is not going to fly no matter how much you try to teach it how to fly. No matter how good of wings you may have attached. So, so, so think about it, how, how, how common it is to follow Christ in that way, though. And you're just wore out. You get so discouraged. You live in fear and doubt because it's all this outward striving because we forget that the power of the gospel of God is to transform us, to transform our heart desires so we actually become more like Jesus, not just act more like Jesus. So that that what used to be dominated by a, a sinful nature is now dominated by Christ in us. And at a heart level, there's this this transference. There's a a change of allegiance, a change of worship where we no longer worship ourselves. We now worship Christ. It starts in the moment of salvation where you say, I surrender and I give my life to Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That's the justification. Just as if I'd never sinned, you've been transformed in that moment. But then how do you walk out this daily? How do you experience the transformation? If it's a work of God doing this metamorphosis, this transformation, does it mean that it's just passive? Do I just kind of hang out and God's going to do the work? Do I need to do something in this? Well, look at verse 2 again. Paul says, so in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that you've been transformed... Do not be conformed to the world. Don't try to fit into the world's mold. He's saying this, you're now a citizen of heaven. You've been changed. You no longer belong here. This is not your home. It's like when you visit a foreign country and they can tell right away, man, you're not from around here, are you? You have a different accent, a different way of doing things. And so for us as Christians, we're to have this this different accent about our life where we say, I love this place. I'm on mission here, but my hope and my citizenship is somewhere else. So don't be conformed to the world, but what do you do? Be transformed. Okay, how do I do it? How do I live out this this blood-bought, spirit-wrought change that's come from the inside out? How do I live this out? What's it say there? How? By the renewing of your mind. So listen, if you're here this morning, you're so desperate to break loose from the conformity to how the world does things. If, if you're so desperate to be changed from the inside out, you've been striving and wore out by it. And, and listen, this is a common testimony. So, so if you're in this place, don't feel like you're all alone on this. If you're in this place, you go, man, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. 
I haven't read my Bible in I don't know how long. I, I don't even want, it's just so hard. Listen, if you're in that place, you go, man, I don't want to be there anymore. If, if you're desperate to be freed from this outward, lame, duty-driven, religious, churchy Christianity, you, if you're looking for something more, you need to have what? It says here, a renewed mind. A, a renewed way of thinking and living and, and, and doing things. A, a new way of, of acting and seeing We need to see and savor Jesus. We need to see and experience the gospel. In fact, you read in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says Satan wants to blind us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So so Satan's at work trying to stop us from renewing our minds, saying, no, 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 don't look to the gospel. Don't put your hope there. Don't seek that. Why? Because the gospel renews our mind. The gospel transforms our lives. And so so when you read the word, what you're doing, you're like, God, show me the gospel here. It's not just I do in a check mark because I read my Bible. Lord, I want to see who you are as I read this. You read from Genesis to Revelation looking for Jesus. You pray for the Spirit to continue to remind you of the gospel. Our our minds are renewed as we wrestle our hearts every day to bring our hearts to rest on the truth of the gospel. That our justification is secure. That our identity is secure. I mean, think about what the world does. The, The world calls you to justify yourself. You need to perform in a certain way. You better look this way. You better have these types of clothes. You better have this kind of a job. You better think this way. You better believe what we believe. You better justify who you are. And man, it's tiring. We're transformed when we realize I've already been justified. Justified by the creator of the universe. So so the courtroom is now closed. The gavel has gone down. I've been declared free and innocent righteous. He's transformed me. So what do we do? We, we renew our mind. We drive that truth deeper. We, we take it from an abstract idea where you can say, yeah, I've heard this before. I know the verses. I know where it goes. And we take it from just an abstract idea and you pray, Lord, make this an experiential truth. Renew my mind. I've probably told you this story before, but I remember when I was running the outdoor school I used to run years ago, and one of the students who came, and she, she had just given her life to Christ, but she'd grown up in church, and she was fired up because of the gospel. She was just amazed that the life she had led leading up to that point, so rebellious, so far from God, that God would choose to love her, and she's just fired up when she lands at the school, and, and she asked me this question. She says, Kai, when will I lose this excitement? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, when will I stop being so joyful about this? When will I stop being just so fired up that Jesus loves me, that he's changed me? I go, well, why, why do you think you're going to lose it? She goes, well, because I just think about all the people in my church. Like, is there an age where you just stop? Do, 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 you, just, do you know Jesus for a certain period of time that all of a sudden you just don't have joy anymore? And she wasn't even asking it sarcastically. She was literally burdened with, I don't want to lose this, but I know I will because it seems like that's what church is. So what do we do? Let's not be that way. Let's renew our minds every day. Should we not be gathered for worship with the same joy as someone who just was redeemed and saved? Amen. So preach it to yourself every day. 
Listen, because what happens is most of our struggle in life comes because we're listening to our minds, listening to our hearts, rather than talking to our hearts. We listen to the accusations. We, we listen to what our heart says about us and about our world. I love how in Psalm 42, David says this. He talks to his heart. He goes, my soul, why are you downcast? And then he says this, hope in God. That, that's, that's David talking to his heart, renewing his mind, being transformed. So I would say this, question your heart preach truth to your heart, remind yourself of who God is, what he's done in Christ, so that when you're confronted by sin, you can say, Jesus paid for this. When you're confronted with temptation, you can say, Jesus is better than this. So we renew our mind. We, we do this. We, we set our hope. We, we set our focus, like it says in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not things on earth. What does that mean? What does the set your minds on things above? Does that mean like think more about heaven? No, no, the verse goes on. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's renewing your mind. My life is hidden in Christ. I'm, I'm keeping my heart and my mind on that. That you'd be able to say this, Jesus, I know that in you there is nothing I could do that would make you love you that make you love me more, and there's nothing that I've done that makes you love me less. That your presence, your approval, it's all I need for everlasting joy. So how do we live this out? We come back to the transforming truth every day. We're immersed in the word, looking for this truth. We're praying for the humility to live here, that it's by God's grace alone. We pray for our heart to see, for our heart to be broken and transformed every day. We pray, God, let me see that Jesus is better. And then what happens? We'll look back at verse 1. Here's how it's lived out. When you get to that place, it says what? That we present our, our lives as a living sacrifice, our bodies as this living sacrifice. Paul here now using Old Testament imagery of, of a lamb or a goat or a bull that's, that's killed and offered as a sacrifice, something that dies in our place. That should have happened to me. But it happened to that animal instead. It took, it took the penalty. And all of that pointing ahead to Jesus who had come as the ultimate and perfect and final sacrifice. And here we're called, give your lives as a response to this good news, this gospel. You're now this living sacrifice. Now here's the part about, you've maybe heard this before already, but it still, it hits me every time. A living sacrifice, what's so different between that and a dead goat or a dead sheep I have the choice whether to crawl onto the altar and whether to crawl off the altar because I'm a living sacrifice. Every day we have to make that choice to lay our lives down and say, God, this is all yours. To look at our lives in this way, it's not this contract you write out for God saying, God, here's what I want for my life. I want to be married at this time. I want to have kids like this. I want my life to be like this. I want health and wealth. I want this to happen and this to happen. God, I signed it. Now you sign it as well and we're good to go. No, living sacrifice is God handing you a blank contract and saying, I gave my life for you. Sign here. That's where it's hard. I mean, that's where it really is a sacrifice. I mean, the, the imagery of sacrifice, I mean, it, it's bloody. It's violent. It's gross. It's uh, not so easy. And, and, and 
And for us to say, okay, God, you are God and I am not. That's a sacrifice. To, to be able to say this, I was reading a testimony this week of someone who, who had battled through just hor- uh, cancer and a broken marriage. And, and she said this, she said, I, I don't ask God for explanations anymore. I just want to know him. That's a sacrifice. To submit, to crawl up in that altar again, to know, God, I know that when I crawl up here, you're about to kill something in me and it's going to be painful, but I know it's the best thing I need for today. And so we trust God in it. As Paul says in Romans 8, why would we trust God in that? Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? I mean, the gospel says God gave his son. He gave everything up to redeem you, to save you. So why would he not also give me everything I need? That's why Paul would say to give your life in this way, to to give yourself as a living sacrifice, he would say it this way, my translation, it's a no-brainer of a way of life. It's like a duh, of course I would. Now, here's how it says it in your passage there. Verse 1 says, you do this as your spiritual worship. Now, that, that, that word there, spiritual worship, literally, it means your, your true worship, your reasonable worship, your proper worship. The, the Greek word is logikos, which sounds like what? Logical, right? It's this divine logic. In light of what God has done, it only makes sense that we live this way. It's, it's Paul laying out the gospel and saying, of course, this is how I'll live. God transformed me by his grace and his mercy at the cost of his son. And so now to live my life as a sacrifice to him, of course, that's the normal way to live. Let's be normal. And so we worship, we, we give him worth, not because as a creator, God could demand it, but because as my redeemer, he deserves it. The gospel drives my worship. That God gave me eternity at the cost of Jesus. So how will I respond to that? I heard it said this way. Imagine you were hanging out with your friends. Imagine I'm hanging out with somebody. We're just sort of hanging out. We're, we're having a, a coffee together. And, and, and Sandy and I are just hanging out. And, and, and then I say, hey, Sandy, I, I got to run to town real quick. Are you okay with just staying in my house and make sure my dog doesn't run away? And Sandy's like, yeah, totally. I can do that. I go to town, I come back, and Sandy goes, hey, Kai, while you were gone, I took care of something for you. It was a debt you had. Now, how thankful would I be to Sandy? Depends on the debt, right? If, if Sandy's like, hey, hey, an Amazon order came while you were gone, and there was this, this $10 fee attached to it because it went across the border, and you, you didn't pay it online, so I, I just covered it for you. I'd be like, wow, thanks. Right? It'd be amazing. Now, 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 if Sandy had said, hey, while you were gone, um, the, the mafia came by, and um, I, I paid off your $5 million gambling debt, Pastor Kai, what would my response be then? Yeah, yeah, they were coming to kill you, and I paid it off. God gave you eternity at the cost of Jesus. How do you respond to that? I mean, the verse here says, we'll worship, we'll give the most value to, the most weight to, because to worship something means you're saying, this has the most worth to me. And so daily, knowing the gospel, we now move our lives to sacrifice, to worship, to say, I'm not worshiping myself anymore. My life isn't about me, it's about Jesus now. 
I'm not putting all my weight on, on people. I'm not, I'm not putting all my weight on, on my friends at school or at work or my boss or, or my spouse or my kids because none of them can bear the weight of my soul. And if I put my worship on them, I'll crush them. I'm not worshiping success. I'm not going to be a slave to something that will always need more and I'll just be just continually drawing my heart to the next thing. I'm not going to worship my own renown because my life is not about me. I'm pointing my life to the glory of God, the, the, the one who gave everything. So, so when, when even when you're, you're doing well and people say, man, I, I love how you live, that, that you'd say, it's not me, it's Jesus. Look at him. To not worship our image. We don't need to lie to protect our image. We don't need to, to, to protect ourselves to succeed or to have the right things to build our image up in that way that we know I've got the love and acceptance of God. This is the normal Christian life. I'm not even going to cling on to comfort anymore because God gave himself for me and God's going to send me probably to uncomfortable people in uncomfortable places. So I just want to give it all for him. And, and so what's it mean then to live the normal Christian life? What have we seen here? That daily I lay down my life as worship in response to the gospel. That daily I renew my mind remembering the gospel, reminding each other of the gospel so that daily we can lay down our lives as worship to him in response to the gospel. And listen, as we unpack this further, that inward transformation is going to be seen in an outward way of living. So as we wrap it up this morning, let, let, me, uh, let me ask you this. Is your life changed by the gospel? Maybe for you it's a, a first time thing. You're like, you know, I don't think I've ever made this choice to follow Christ. I want that. I want that kind of hope. I want that enduring joy. I want that life where I can rest and stand in that. It starts with saying, Jesus, I need you. My life is sinful and I need redemption. And you begin that journey of giving your heart and your life in worship to Christ alone. Let me ask you this. If you're here this morning, and you're like, I've done that. I am a Christ follower. Let me ask you this. Are you today being changed by the gospel? I mean, if this really was your prayer, that, that in Christ there's, there's nothing I can do that would make him love me more. There's nothing I've done that will make him love me less. So his presence, his approval, that's all I need for everlasting joy. Like if that really was what you believed... What right now would that change? If you saw how God views you in Christ, what would it change today? What would be different about your fears? What would be different about your struggles? What would be different about your, your burdens or your desires? What would be different about what you put your hope in, what you pursue after? What would it look like if, if you took the truth of the gospel and your justification that you know here and you brought it to bear in your life today? What would that look like? Let me pray for us. Lord God, your word says that we've been justified by faith and that we have, we have peace with you through, through Jesus. 
that through him we've obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God, would you make that true in our hearts and lives today? Lord, would we live different lives? Would we live lives where people could look at our lives and say, why do you have that integrity? Why do you have that joy? And we'd be able to say, because I've been changed. It's not me at all. Lord Jesus, that we could say that in you, we know, we hold to this, we stand in this, that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more, nothing we've done that makes you love us less. God, would you, would you grow our hearts, would you renew our minds, that even now, as we go from here, that we would know that your presence, that your presence, your, your approval is, is all we need for everlasting joy. And that God, as we go on further in this series, that we would take that transformation, that joy, and we would say, as you've given this to us, we want to give it to others. So God, today, renew our minds. Continue to change our hearts that we would see your glory and what you've done in the gospel so we can live this out, Lord. I pray this, God, that as we read through scripture, as we look at our lives, God, would you just make us normal Christians for your glory and to change the world around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. See you next week in Bracebridge and make the drive. If you're from Huntsville, come on out because it's, it's not two churches. We're just gathering together. So looking forward to seeing you next week. Lord willing, love you guys. God bless.